How can we make sure that our lives will count? That our lives will count for something, not only in this life, but in the, in the life to come. You know, as a pastor, I've done uh, dozens of funerals uh, over the years, uh, with a variety of, of ages. Uh, services for infants who barely made it a couple hours, to old saints who lasted almost to a hundred, and everything in between. People struck down in the prime of their life. At the funerals, the deaths have been all sorts of the circumstances as well, run the gamut. From people who died from a long, debilitating disease, like a cancer or neurological disease. Some who were struck down with a catastrophic health event, like a heart attack or massive stroke. Some who left that morning for work or for school or for vacation and there was a car accident and... They had no idea knowing that it would be their last day. I've done services for those who struggled and ended their own lives. And those whose bodies finally gave out after decades and decades and decades of life. And whenever I do a service, uh, I'm struck by a couple of things. One of them is how precious life is. What a gift that it is that we have this time on earth. And the other thing I'm struck with is, is how brief it is. The brevity of life. You know, when you look at culture, uh, this theme of the brevity of life, the special nature of life, is you see it over and over again through poems, through stories, through movies, and, and, and through songs. And, and each generation seems to have songs that speak to this, uh, like Cats in the Cradle from way back when, or Jim Croce, If I Could Keep Time in a Bottle, or maybe a couple decades ago, A Hundred Years by Five for Fighting. One of my personal favorites. Uh, Dust in the Wind by, by Kansas, or Live Like You're Dying, Tim McGraw. We, we, we have this human desire to, to experience more of life. There's never enough time, it seems. Life is so brief. Now, this is nothing new. Each generation, each uh, group of, of humans who have walked this earth have had this same feeling. In fact, we see today in, the, in, in one of the oldest songs recorded in human history, we see this in Psalm 90. Uh, Moses, who many believe by tradition was the man who, who recorded this song, uh, speaks of the brevity of life. So let's take a look at Psalm 90. I'm going to encourage you uh, to turn with me if you have a immersed Bible with you. If you're doing that with us, it's on page 100. Or you can um, look at it in your, your pew Bible or your phone app Bible, your own personal Bible. Let's begin Psalm 90, beginning with verse one. Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. For you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. And soon they disappear and we fly away. 
Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Now, when I, when I, uh, I've memorized a number of verses over the years, and this is one of the verses, the last verse I read that I carry around with me. I, I think of it often. The version I memorized was, teach us the number of days are right, so we may gain a heart of wisdom. So it, it speaks to the importance of, of using our time well, of, of having the perspective of, 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 of the brevity of life and the importance of life and what we do with the lives that we have been given. Now, now Moses, as he writes this, he seems to be a little bit perplexed, even troubled. You heard me read that he figures, hey, well, you got maybe 70 years, three score and 10, or maybe 80 years if you're, if you're lucky. He says, whatever, that reason, whatever those number turns out to be for you, time goes so quickly. I mean, I've talked to older folks and they say that the, the, the days are short, but the years are long. I've found it to be true in my life. Each decade seems to get faster and, and faster. And, and we can tend to step back and ask, you know, what is my life counting for? We, want to, we don't want to get to the end of our lives and, and, and look at regrets and say, I should have, I could have, I didn't. I knew I should, but I didn't. How do we make our lives count? That's a question that we don't always like to think about. But every so often we do, when the calendar flips to a new year, or there's another birthday cake, when there's one more candle, or we hear about some celebrity that you know, we always kind of follow, we kind of connected with, and they, they pass away, like, wait a second, they're in my generation. Or like what we heard about in Syria and Turkey recently. In a blink of an eye, thousands of people are lost and even countless more are homeless. I have a, a good friend who just had a woman from Turkey and her daughter in his house, and she lost her husband, a son, and a sister, all just like that. What, what do we do with that? You know, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote, Our souls are not hungry for fame, Comfort, wealth, or power. Those rewards create almost as many problems as to solve. We, we are, our souls are hungry for meaning. We want our lives to matter. When it's all said and done, we want our lives to count for something. Something that's going to last. Now, when Moses wrote this psalm, he was thinking about the passing of time. We don't know if he was looking forward or if he was looking back. Or if he's somewhere in the middle. Whatever the circumstances, whichever way he's looking, he sees two things right off the bat. One is the eternality of God. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He understood what it meant for God to be eternal. Remember when he was called to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and say, let my people go. He asked God, who shall I tell them that is sending me? And God's response is, I am who I am. God always was. God always is. God always will be. He's beyond time. God simply is. He's eternal. And then to make the point, the songwriter writes in verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. God is not affected by the passing of time. He's never late. He's never in a rush. He's never tired. 
The second thing that Moses points us to is the, the frailty of human existence. You turn, you turn us back to dust, he says. He reminds us that the bodies that we work so hard to keep in shape and to eat right and this and that, to make attractive or whatever, eventually they're going to break down and there'll be nothing but, but dust. He says we're like people living on a floodplain. When the waters rise, we're swept away. We're like grass springing up bright and, and green after a midsummer night's rain, only to wither and, and wilt and die under the afternoon sun. I mentioned the song, Dust in the Wind, one of my favorite groups, Kansas, growing up. The lyrics, I close my eyes only for a moment, and the moment's gone. And all we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. It slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy. Dust in the wind, all we are is, is dust in the wind. How do we resolve this tension that we feel um, between the eternality of God and, and, the, and the brevity and the, the frailty of human life? Because we, 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 we believe, we, we have the sense that we're, we're meant for something more. We're, we're, death is an affront to us. We, we know it's coming, but, but we, we can't resolve this tension. We can't accept it. And that's because we're, we're created with eternity in our hearts. We're created in God's image. We're created with, with, to, to, to live forever with Him. Uh, and, and so the, the time passes so quickly. And most of what we accomplish in this life turns to dust along with the bodies, the bodies that we inhabit. How can we make sure our lives count, not only in this life, but beyond? The answer, Moses says, is to number our days, to count them, to, to value them. Teach us to number our days aright, he writes, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, give us perspective. Help us to use our time wisely. Teach us to count our days rightly. You know, everybody counts something. Whether you think about it or not, we, we all are counting things. This is what it looks like to be successful. We count this. We count that. We measure this. We compare that. But wise people, the Bible tells us, count the things that really matter. There's a movie called Mr. 3000. Uh, it's about 20-some years old. Bernie Mac, the comedian, he plays a, a baseball player who retires on the day that he records his 3,000th hit. He does it strategically because he can kind of trademark the name and, and he gets into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, and then several years later, when he's in his early to mid-40s, it comes out that he actually only had 2,997 hits. So he... He goes back to try to get those three more hits, to recapture his title, or to recapture who he thinks he is, his happiness, his meaning in life. But on the way to that 3,000th hit, he discovers that maybe the things he's been counting may not be so important after all. So what do you count? We go through life counting things. I, as a kid, I counted baseball cards. I collected them. I gathered them, I would stack them up, I would put them in order, put my favorite players on top, and the more cards, I, this is a really cool thing for me. But I don't know what kids count today. Maybe video game scores or the wins and losses of their favorite team, the number of likes they get on, on social media. You know, teenagers count the number of friends they might have, the number of colleges they get into. College students hopefully count their, their GPA and credit hours and the friendships they make. 
Adults, we, we measure things like uh, the vacations we take or the degrees we have or the golf score we have or the yield on our investments. Psalm 90 warns us not to go through life counting the wrong things. If you want your life to count for something, number your days, count the hours, count the minutes, value them, make the most of them, and measure your life by what you do with them. Because life is precious, it's a gift, and life is oh so brief. You know, none of us like to think about it, but we really don't know how much time we have left. You know, and Psalm 90, uh, like the other songs we've been talking about this morning, remind us that sooner or later, our time on earth will end. Most of the time, it's sooner than we'd like to think. One commentator paraphrases verse 12 this way, teach us to num- remember that we must die in order that we might know how to live. It's perspective. When we number our days, we realize how few we have. And so we're told by Moses, use them wisely. Have God's perspective and count what matters to God. You know, I came across a study uh, about how typical Americans use their time. It was focusing on adults. You know, average American, a little over seven hours of, of sleep, ten or so hours a day working, several other things, and then, of course, phones. Five hours and 24 minutes on average. And they say that the average adult checks their phone 96 times throughout the day, an average of every 10 minutes or so. You know, at home, I've got a book on, my, on one of the tables. It's called uh, 12 Ways That Your, your, phone is, your iPhone is, uh, is Changing You. I've had good intentions to read it. I started it. And then last night, Nancy and I were watching the show together, and I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. I, I know who the murderer is. So I just kind of glanced at my phone. I was working on a crossword puzzle, and Nancy's like, <clears throat> you need to read that book. I hate it when she's right like that. But most of us, we don't value our time. And most of us make one of two mistakes when it comes to time. Some people, younger people especially, think they have so much time that they can afford to waste it. I'll get to the important things later when I'm done with school or when, when I get married or when the kids are older or when things aren't so busy at work. But then they run out of time before they get to those things. Other people go the other way. They think they have too little time. Is that they can't possibly do something significant for others or for God, and they can't make the time now, and then they run out of time. And and time is funny. We all have the same amount, 24 hours a day. And God gives us just enough time to do the things he calls us to do. He doesn't give us a, a list that's so overwhelming that we can't ever get around to it. You know, author and pastor John Piper tells about a plaque that used to hang over the sink in the kitchen of the house he grew up in. He figures that every day in those formative years, he read the simple verse that was printed there. I remember seeing this at my my grandma and grandpa McHenry's house. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I remember in my grandparents' house, there was these words and there was this green hill with two trees and there was a brown path that went between the trees up and over a hill. It was the same for Piper. He wrote... How many times as a little boy and then as a teenager with pimples and longings and anxieties, I looked at that brown path, my life, and wondered what would be over the hill. The message was clear. You get one pass at life, only one. 
and the lasting measure of that life is Jesus Christ. As I write these words, that very plaque hangs today on the wall by our front door, and I see it every time I leave home. When all is said and done, the only things that will count, that God will count, are the things we've done for Him and the things we've done with Him. That's the sobering truth of this wisdom that's, that Moses wrote thousands of years ago. The things that we work so hard for, the things that we count as so important, most of them are going to be forgotten. How much money we made, how many deals we closed, how many games we won, how many vacations we took. Time's going to wash them all away, like a wave crashing over a beautiful sandcastle. Now, we should certainly work and, and play and love to the best of our ability, but when we leave God out of the picture, when we fail to work and play and love for His glory, then all we do crumbles to the ground and is swept away like, like dust in the wind. But the things that are done for Christ will last. That cup of cold water you give in Christ's name, the people you point to Christ, the impact upon your, your, the younger generations, the, the, the biblical truth that we've learned and, and, and applied in our lives, the money and time and talent we've invested for God's kingdom, those things will stand for eternity. When we number our days, we will realize how few we have and how valuable they are. And then we will count them wisely and have God's perspective. You know, at the end of this song, almost to the end of this song, there's a line. It was in the, the chorus that Paul sang. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love, so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. I think that's the key. If that happens, if, if we're satisfied with God's love, if God answers that prayer, and I think He will, we will number our days aright. We will value and count the things that matter to God. You know, uh, the dozens of funerals I've done, sometimes I see a stark contrast. I, I've done funerals for folks who have followed Jesus and served Him faithfully, and I've done services for folks who have walked away and rejected Him, denied Him. And, and, and there's a huge difference in the perspective of what they counted in their lives. You can see it. The first time this hit me was when I was in seminary in Chicago. And one of the things we had to do was something called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. So essentially you would have to go and have a chaplain experience in a hospital. So it was a semester long. So a couple of days a week I'd go down there and we'd visit people and we'd talk about it. And, and then once a week you'd have a, a 24-hour shift where you would stay at the hospital overnight and often be called down to the, you know, the ER in the middle of the night and some really tragic and tough situations that you'd have to walk into with people you didn't even know. But uh, I remember one in particular, one night, they woke me up in the middle of the night and they asked me to come up to the ICU. Uh, and there were two families, uh, separate wings, uh, just a, a minute walk from each other, who had to make the decision to unhook their loved ones from the machines that were keeping them alive. And, and the, the first one that I visited was a woman in her upper 80s, 
uh, and her family was there, uh, and um, they asked me to pray with them. They shared about her life. They shared about her impact. Or they shared about her, um, her faith and involvement in her church. And it, it was beautiful. She had counted her days wisely. And then they, I walked across the hall uh, of the wing, and there was a guy. I remember he was 27 years old. He was basically my age at the time. Uh, and he was yellow. He had drank himself to death. And his family was gathered there, and they were arguing, and they were fighting. Uh, and it was the most uncomfortable, awkward, and sad situation that I'd been in to that point in my life. The contrast was so stark. We have one life. We have one life. How can we be sure that our lives will count for something? It will be true. It will be true if we number our days aright. If we find our, our satisfaction in God's love for us. If we value the things that God values, we count the things that matter to Him. And not to the world, but to Him. Teach us to number our days aright, O Lord. That we can gain hearts of, of wisdom and have your perspective. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we, we know that you've given us the gift of time. We're grateful for the, the world you put us in and the people you surround us with and the, the very life, we, the very air that we breathe, and the bodies you've given strength to. Lord, we pray that in the midst of the busyness of life, Lord, that our prayer would be that you would satisfy us with your unfailing love that we would count our days wisely, that we'd count the right things that you would teach us, Lord, to use our time for you, to have your perspective. We love you, and we ask that you would help us to do this. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I want you to stand as we respond to the word we just received.